the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by Amplified Peace. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Amplify Peace. We are all about exploring how we can listen, learn, and live differently in this crazy world. Together, we want to discover the impact of empathy, the strength of unity, the power of love, and the beauty of humanity. I'm your host, Lisa Jernigan, and joining me today is a really special guest, Salam al-Marayati. I don't know yes. if I said that right, That's but right. he is the president and co-founder of Impact, M-P-A-C, which stands for Muslim Public Affairs Council. And Salam, I did some reading about you, and there is so much I could say here, but I'm going to do a short version because I want people to hear your words of who you are. But Salam is an expert on Islam in the West, Muslim reform movements, human rights, democracy, national security, and the Middle East politics. He has spoken at the White House, Capitol Hill, and represented the U.S. at international human rights and religious freedom conferences. The mission of IMPACT improves public understanding and policies that impact American Muslims by engaging our government, media, and communities. And some of their values is they promote the Islamic and American values of mercy, justice, peace, human dignity, freedom, and equality for all. Well, I just want to kind of set the stage for our conversation today, because at Amplify Peace, we are raising up peacemakers to help restore peace in the broken places, in our relationships, in our faith communities, between ethnicities, and in places where you find conflict, tension, and misunderstandings. We believe in proximity, in sharing our stories, in asking respectful questions, in being curious, and in listening and learning so that as a result, we can live differently and show up differently and be better informed so we can be create friendships rather than being strangers. This conversation today is not about politics and opinions, who is right and who is wrong. It's about how we can see and love each other as human beings first, created in the image of God, and how we can heal the divides and strive for unity, not uniformity. Well, it's my, my privilege to welcome our special guest, Salam. Welcome to Amplify Peace. Thank you, Lisa. I'm really, really happy and honored to be with you. I'm really excited about this conversation. I think we need more of this throughout our country and, and throughout the world. Well, I, I totally agree. And I again, I want to thank you for the work you're doing, for the work you're doing in our communities and our country and, and in the world to foster understanding and unity. And it truly is an honor to have this conversation with you today. And I know I'm going to learn uh, a lot from it. And I just invite our listeners to just come in with an open heart and an open mind. And I think we are going to be better because of this conversation with you today. So thank you. I'm going to jump in for the sake of time. And yes. I think before, it's, I think it's important to understand who someone is before we really hear all that they do. Because a lot of times what we do is a reflection of who we are. Um, so I would love you to just share, because um, you've done so much 
And you do so much for the sake of building bridges for understanding, um, crossing the divides, um, you know, creating friendships across, you know, divides that maybe wouldn't happen naturally, but you're intentional about doing that, which we're going to get into a little bit later. But can you first give us your own personal background, share your story and who you are and why you do this work? Because I know you have a rich background. Thank you. Um, well, my family is from Iraq. So uh, they fled persecution from Iraq in 1963. And I was a toddler at the time. Uh, actually, my father fled first. And we stayed with my grandfather for about a year. And then we rejoined my father in uh, New York. We came into JFK. And I came off the plane and I asked my mom, who's that man looking at us? And she says, that's your father. So uh, he had a very tumultuous uh, experience, obviously, in, in, in the upheavals, one of many in Iraq, um, starting, I would say, uh, about 100 years ago. Uh, and he got caught up in the political persecution and prosecutions at that time by the military. So he fled. We followed and uh, my uncle was uh, getting his PhD at NYU, New York University. And then he got a position to teach at Arizona State. So we mm -hmm. followed my uncle and I grew up in Tempe, Arizona. Wow. OK, yeah. just in our backyard here. Just in your yeah. backyard. And I actually went to school at McClintock. Mm. Uh, high school. Uh, and then my parents left Arizona at that time to California. And so uh, I went to UCLA for college. Um, and at that time, my dad sat me down when I graduated from high school. He goes, okay, I want you to choose the major for college that you like the most because then you'll be the best at it. Mm. And I said, that's great wisdom. And then the next night he sat me down again. He goes, okay, what have you decided? Are you going to be an engineer or a doctor? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I tried engineering. I tried medicine or pre-med. Didn't like either. It was a flop. And uh, I graduated actually with a degree in biochemistry, um, went into me uh, chemical engineering for about two years. And then I told my dad, this is not for me. And so I gave that up and I was probably the first uh, full-time activist for the Muslim community back in 1986. And I developed the, the public affairs arm of our mosque. And then that grew into the Muslim Public Affairs Council in 1988. And so I've been doing this for about, I would say now, 38 years. Wow. That's that's an amazing story. Yeah. I wanna, I've I seen wanna, it all. Let's put it that way. Have. So <laughs> have you been back to Iraq? Yes, I visited a couple of times. Um, it's devastating because during the Gulf War, um, which I believe was prosecuted uh, on a mountain of lies, that Iraq was involved in 9-11, that they had weapons of mass destruction. And of course, Saddam Hussein was a tyrant and nobody uh, had had any sympathy towards him, but to destroy a country uh, over uh, bad people or a bad man, um, it, it did not help America. Mm -hmm. uh, I believed it was going against American interests and that we need people-to-people -people diplomacy. We need, <clears throat> we need the American people to understand the people of Iraq and the people of the Middle East and the people of South Asia more to achieve peace. I believe that is our, our way to peace. Uh, 
Um, but my my family's from Iraq. My my wife's family, her father is from Gaza. Mm. And so far, of her extended family in Gaza, over 60 members have been killed. Oh, my gosh. Since uh, October 7th. So it, we go through a lot of uh, pain and suffering. Um, but at the end of the day, God tells us uh, to weather the storm that uh, that it, it should give us the resilience to work even uh, harder uh, for and more diligently uh, with other people to establish uh, bridges of understanding. So that's my that's my mission is to hopefully create that bridge between the Muslim community and everyone to understand us more so that we can be uh, instruments of peacemaking rather than allowing others to make religion uh, instruments of war. So that's that's the basic purpose of our organization. It's beautiful. I've been to quite a few com- countries in the Middle East and sat in refugee camps, been to Iraq, um, and was there like about a year and a half after ISIS came in. And the people are beautiful and just sat, um, especially with women, but with men and women, um, with with Kurds and just listen to their story. And it's yeah. really powerful when you can sit with somebody and just listen to their story because yeah. it changes everything, right? And, 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 and like, that's the work you do. And I know for me, like, um, and I've been to Palestine quite a few times and Israel and both of those and, you know, met people, like you said, that are suffering. And so when you start building bridges and building friendships with people from different faiths, different countries, then when things happen over there, like the war over there, or when things happen in Iraq or when it happens in these different countries, it becomes very personal because this country has faces faces of friends. It's not those people over there. It's these are my friends that this is happening to and causes me to pray differently. It causes me to just really, and even the work I do in peacemaking, like what you're doing, you're, you're motivated because you know what happens if we don't work for peace. Right. Right. Exactly. And I liked what you said at the beginning in the introduction that we're working for unity, not uniformity. We, we are not all the same. Uh, even within our faiths, there's so many differences uh, of opinion and different interpretations and even different practices. Uh, but at the at the end of the day, there's one God. And, uh, and I, I see it like we have different streams that create currents that go into a river that end up in a lake. And so that unity is how do we reach that body of water um, and and become uh, one with our different paths. And that's exactly what Islam teaches us is that we all come from different paths, but at the end of the day, everybody wants to submit to God and, and worship God and follow what they believe God wants them to do. And that's, that's the unity. In fact, the word Sharia, which is, is really distorted in Western culture, they think that it's just draconian laws and punitive and things like that. Sharia means it comes from the word shara, which is uh, a road, and and it's the road to water. That is the image that we have when we when we look at water. We think of spirituality, so mm-hmm. it's that road to gaining more spirituality. And God says you will all achieve that spirituality through different means and different ways. Uh, and and if God had wanted us, and this is directly out of the Quran, and if God had wanted us. He would have made us into one community, but he will test us with the different revelations. Uh, 
and different signs that he gives each of us. And then on the day of judgment, on that last day, he will gather us all and explain uh, why we all differed. So that's, that to me is the epitome of faith is, is to believe in one God, but to allow people to, to worship freely uh, and to make their own decisions on how to achieve um, that spiritual goal uh, of being close to God. Mm. I, and I think your, your point is well taken. It, it is about unity. Where do we find our commonalities and from there build on friendships? And it's not, um, you know, I think a lot of times we're like, I got to convert somebody over. Right. And we're all very strong in our beliefs, you know, as, as a follower of Jesus, very strong, uh, you know, in my belief about Jesus, Jesus is the way, but it doesn't mean we can't be friends and accept right. each other and honor each other and yes. work for the same things of work for justice and the rights, human rights and seeing each other as human beings first before we slap labels on people. And, you know, one of the, I've learned so many things in my journey of living and trying to, to, you know, lead as a peacemaker, which is hard work. It's not always yes. peaceful, as you know, right. Right. Um, to live as a peacemaker. Um, but it, it's that, how do we just honor each other's story, but we got to get to know each other and build those bridges and get past the misperceptions. Cause I know, you know, I was taught certain things uh, growing up and in my culture and in my faith background, different things that when you really start studying, you go, was that really true? Or was that somebody's opinion? Right. And there's a big difference there. As you came over to this country, I know you were little, but growing up here and you're talking about your work and, and you know, working in the Muslim community, coming to the West, what have you, what have been some barriers or um, what do you want people to know about you as a Muslim that maybe they, they have a misunderstanding about? One of the biggest misunderstandings you face um, and working because you're in churches, you're in, you're working with churches, you work with pastors, you're in communities. Yes. What are some of the biggest misunderstandings that you're like, I wish people would understand this? Yes. Uh, well, first of all, I just wanted to emphasize what you mentioned earlier and how you had a, a particular experience when you met people mm-hmm. versus what we see in the news and, and media. Um, you know, war, war is, makes news. And so, we think of regions of the world based on news that usually comes from something violent that happens. We don't pay attention when there's no violence. We only pay attention uh, when there's war. And war actually radicalizes uh, the world, radicalizes, it radicalized Iraq. It created, you know, the war in the Gulf created ISIS. There was no ISIS before the Gulf War. There was no Hezbollah before Israel invaded Lebanon in 1982. Um, there was no Hamas uh, before 1988 uh, when they, the, there was a, an uprising against the military occupation of the West Bank and Gaza. So radicalization creates a sense that Islam only is about radical uh, behavior and radicalism. Um, but when people go and meet communities, they find something completely different. And so I had a friend named Diane Mott, who was a Fulbright scholar, and she was told, and she was assigned to go to a Muslim country, and she was told, don't go there because they don't like white women. And she had a dog, and they told her, don't go there because they don't like dogs. Well, when she went there, she was embraced. People protected her. And when her dog was sick, they asked, how's your dog? And when her dog died, 
they brought sweets to her home, which is the tradition when a member of your family passes on, you bring sweets to smoothen out that difficulty. So um, she fell in love with the Muslim people. And she came to me one day and she said, you know, what can we do to improve the understanding of Muslims? I said, well, Diane, I think you should tell your story in churches. They're not going to listen to me, but maybe they'll listen to you. Um, and so she went and told the story at a church outside of Atlanta. I, I had some friends um, in Snell, Snellville uh, Church there, Grace Community Church, I believe it's called. Um, and so um, when they heard her story and 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 then I brought an African-American imam to talk about the Quran, one person came down. He goes, you know what? I just realized that I use a lot of anti-Muslim tropes in my politics and I realize how wrong it is, and I ask for your forgiveness. Wow. So we embraced and and after that, and I told Diane, this is what we need to scale throughout the country. So that's that was part of the journey where she felt it was so important. She she made it a part of her will. She died from cancer, and so she left a legacy gift for us to continue this work between mosques and churches, Muslims and Christians, because I believe really – the the most uh, egregious misconception is the one where the West is Judeo-Christian and the East is Islam. Mm -hmm. And that there's always going to be a clash of civilizations between the two. I believe that that's something artificial manufactured by political special interest groups that only have an agenda for war. Um, and, and that has fueled a lot of wars in the Middle East. So we have to break that, that, um, uh, clash of civilizations mentality and and develop something new. And, and that's why I believe that creating an American Islamic experience, an American Muslim identity is so important where people understand that for me, home is not where my grandparents are buried. Home is where my grandchildren are going to be raised. And mm. uh, America is home to Islam, just like it's been home to so many other religions. Uh, and it's been uh, the place where religion has flourished uh, because uh, of our political system where the state can never own religion. It, religion is a property of the people. It's never a property of the state. And I believe that that's something that Islam uh, developed uh, many years ago, but it, it has now uh, been, uh, people have deviated from that understanding and violated even the Islamic tenets that the state should never be the one that owns religion. I believe that Islam said, no, we, we should always keep religion separate from state authority. You can have political authority, but really the, the people are the ones who own religion, not the state. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, just in these distinctions are really important because we don't think about this. We tend to lump everything into one bucket instead right. of really taking it apart and looking at, at the different pieces and, and the whys to things. Like, how did we get here? And that's so important because all of a sudden we find ourselves at a certain place and we just operate from that place without going, what has been the, the path here? I want to ask you a question. You spend time in churches mm -hmm. um, and talking with pastors and, you know, obviously, what are some of the things you see in, um, in the Christian church in the West that um, just what are your thoughts? Good, so, challenging, yeah. what are the, you know, what are the so, parts? What are the challenging parts? The number one misconception I, I find that, that American Christians don't understand is that Muslims actually believe in Jesus. Uh, as I mean, we don't believe that he's the son of God. That's, that's the difference between 
a Muslim and, and Christian today, but we believe he's a servant of God. We believe he's, he was the Messiah to the children of Israel. We believe that he was the gospel. He was the word of God. Um, there's a whole chapter in the Quran that talks about the Virgin Mary when she tells the angel, how can I have a child when no man has touched me? And the angel said, well, if God says be, then it is. So very few people in America understand that Islam actually reveres Jesus as one of the greatest messengers of God. Um, and that the prophet Muhammad um, went from Mecca to Jerusalem and he, as he, was, he ascended to the heavens and he met Jesus and he met Moses and he met um, all, all the messengers. And to us, that is a way of demonstrating that we don't make any distinction uh, among all the messengers of God. And the Quran says, you will not make any distinction. They're all equal to us. Whether it's Noah or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Moses or Jesus, we believe in all of them. We believe in God, that he delivered a message through all of them, and we're supposed to follow that message of God. Um, and that message of God, really, at the end of the day, it's about very simple principles, but it, they are hard to apply. They are mercy, compassion, justice, human dignity, and freedom. And, and, and I don't care what you call yourself, every religion promotes these principles. How do we achieve that? That's the hard part. If we live that, that's the hard part, because we all have emotions, we have biases, uh, we have experiences that are very limited uh, in, in terms of understanding what's happening around us or what's happening around the world. But for, for us to achieve that place where Christians understand that Muslims believe in Jesus, um, that would be very important. And for, for, uh, for us to also understand, for example, in Palestine, there are Gazan Christians Mm -hmm. And so many of them are saying, where are my Christian brothers and sisters to, to help protect us? Right. In Bethlehem, the, uh, the, the leader of the church there said, you know, wh where, where is the West if it's talking about human rights and international law uh, and, and so on and so forth? So people don't understand that there's a strong Christian uh, uh, presence and experience and history that Islam has actually preserved. For example, when the Muslims went to Jerusalem and they, they took over Jerusalem from the Romans, the, uh, the leader at that time, Omar, uh, told the Christians, you remain as is. You will, you will remain in Jerusalem. We will not build any mosque on your churches. We will not take away any of the cross. The cross will be respected. So Islam considers Christianity a divine faith and Christians to be part of what we call the people of the book. And we can even marry uh, uh, among the people. that We can eat the food of the people of the book. So the idea that there's, there's this Abrahamic understanding, Islam, uh, I believe, really developed that and codified that and made that part of the reality that even when there was the Islamic civilization, there were always Christians and Jews in Islamic civilization. Mm. I think those that's such great clarity because we, again, to be able to have a conversation and we hope our listeners feel like they're sitting around a table with us, just listening and, and learning. I mean, so much in these distinctions because the stories you, you just shared about that, I've heard that and it's true. And we don't hear some of this stuff. This, right. these, 
these stories and these narratives are not told, right? They're kind of buried somewhere. And so to really but, realize the truth. To be to be frank, when I was the one thing I, I learned in high school is what they what I was not taught about history. Right. I was told, well, here's Greek uh, civilization and Roman civilization. And then we went through the Dark Ages. And then there was Western civilization. Well, those Dark Ages were actually the Golden Age where Islam was leading civilization. And uh, that's why we use Arabic numerals. We use Arabic numerals because the Muslims developed the mathematic system where zero uh, was was invented to, to make a, a calculus and geometry and that led to physics and um, there were leading Muslim philosophers, Averroes, uh, the, the founder of modern medicine, uh, Avicenna, Ibn Sina. So there's a lot we are not taught in our high school or middle, middle school and high school social studies that there was something called Islamic civilization. And actually, the West and Islamic civilization, there's a, there's a lot in common because human civilization is about learning from previous people, uh, civil eras, and then developing and advancing it. So there's a lot of Islamic civilization that we've used, and obviously we've advanced. And to me, I don't see any um, dissonance between uh, Islam and America. In fact, I see a lot of commonality, whether we're talking about um, philosophy or, um, or, hist or, or politics uh, or faith. Um, there's a lot to me that, that we share uh, as Muslims living in America with other Americans. I'm going to pause you right there because this is part one of a two-part series. And uh, we're going to continue this co this conversation in our next episode. But I want to remind people that coming up February 3rd, we're going to have it on our website. Uh, there's an opportunity to be at a mosque. It's open to Muslims, Christians. Um, it's going to be in Scottsdale. We'll have the information. It's February 3rd at 2 o'clock. But I want to wrap up and say, as always, thanks for being part of this podcast and the Amplify Peace community. For more information on living as a peacemaker in today's world, connect with us at AmplifyPeace.com and you can follow us on all social media. Peace. This program was sponsored by Amplified Peace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.